Think about all the people that you know that play Candy Crush. Now, think about all the millions, or more realistically, billions of events that they create that King ingests every day. Kenny and I had the chance to chat with Hugh LaFora, formerly on the streaming platform team at King, and now currently one of Cloudera's Flink engineers, about the evolution of Flink and how it really works in production environments during this episode of Aventador Streams, a podcast about all things streaming data. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Aventador Streams. Today, Kenny and I are super excited to be joined by a guest that has what I think is a incredibly fun background in streaming. We've got Eula Fora on the line with us, who is currently a Flink engineer working on Cloudera's Flink product. But as we'll get into, he has some really fun experience being on the user side as well. So Eula, thank you so much for joining us. Hi, Leslie. Hi, Kenny. Thank you very much for, for hosting me today. Yeah, welcome. As I mentioned, you are currently at Cloudera working on their streaming product using Flink, but you have a really fun and cool background using Flink as well and using streaming systems. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your history with Flink and streaming data in general? All right. So my career in distributed systems and in programming in general started in 2014. I, I had a university background in mathematics, so I wasn't really prepared to be a programmer and I didn't really have anything to do with uh, big data systems back then. But actually, uh, I had a chance encounter with, with Marton Balashi at the university mm-hmm. exam. So basically, we were waiting for the teacher and we just hit up a conversation and he told me that uh, he was working with uh, big data systems. I didn't know anything about that at that point. I was mostly interested in like machine learning and statistics. But long story short, we went out for some beers. He told me all about Hadoop and, and company. So he got me hooked on the tech side of things. Yeah, wait, so. wait. So he got you drunk and convinced you to change your career. That's what I heard. Well, something like that. Uh, <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. That's the best way to do it. Yeah, if you put it that way, it doesn't sound very good, but I think it turned out okay. <laughs> well, we know Marton, so. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so I, I joined Marton in, in a big data systems research group at the university, and we we got pretty lucky there because they were just starting up this cool new project called Stratosphere Streaming. Strat- okay. You probably heard that Stratosphere was the project that later became Flink. So, right, Yeah. yeah. So it was the, uh, that point in time when the whole Stratosphere streaming project was just uh, getting bootstrapped. So it was our group that uh, got this project. So we kind of started digging into streaming systems and researching what's out there, like Storm, Spark streaming, and all the, the tooling and tech around it. So that's basically where it all started. You know that we've had Stefan on the on the on the podcast. We've had Marton, and now yourself. And what's interesting about that to me is the circumstance that brought together all your brains to create something at that time. It was such an interesting, uh, to me, confluence of timing where, you know, it was the right people at the right time, and then the right focus, right, on correctness and state management and the things that you know Flink really brings to the table. Um, I know you guys were thinking about that early on. Can you tell me like kind of where, where your head was at when you, you know, especially with Martone and you guys were talking early on? 
Yeah, I, I mean, I agree with you. It's it was such a lucky like thing that everybody who was involved at Flink just was there, in the right place at the right time. So right. yeah, so basically we we didn't really know where we were gonna go with the, the the streaming project. I mean, all we had at that point was the the Stratosphere batch processing capabilities. It was right. a really strong like runtime base and already had some core features for streaming. But we really had to start building it from the ground up, like the streaming API and uh, the missing capabilities. So, so basically, what we did at, at first is kind of looked at uh, like systems that we knew that worked well for for customers already, or the companies that were using streaming technologies like Storm. I, I think initially Storm was the the biggest like source, the gold of, standard. Yeah. yeah, exactly, the gold standard and the, the source of all the all our ideas basically so we we first tried to to copy storm to some extent just to, uh, to get an api that works similar to storm but on the flink runtime and once we had that going on uh we we started improving on that making sure that it fit well with uh, other things in in stratosphere and flink so that it gives you a nice coherent uh, story and this was all before we started even to look at like stateful capabilities that, that came a little bit later, like I would say a few months later. We've had a couple of people on the podcast that have worked at places like we had Max McKells from Lyft and you, you think about Lyft and you go, wow, they have a ton of data. I can only imagine what their streaming system is like, but you have what may have even more of a cool story around that, which is you were at King and working with their streaming systems and if everybody that I know that plays Candy Crush is anything to <laughs> like have to say about it, Leslie's that must have been wild and crazy. So talk to us a little bit about that experience, because I'm sure coming from helping create Flink and being one of you know the early innovators in that to actually putting it into practice is probably super interesting and a really cool experience. Yeah, the two the two hits that we we keep uh, coming on for topics that people really like are number one, you know, what did you do in production in a real in real production? How did that work with Flink? And then the other one is like, what are the war stories? What didn't work and what totally <laughs> screwed up? Those are the two yeah. like top uh, top things that people talk about a lot. So maybe before I dive into what happened at King, I just take two steps back and just uh, yeah. tell you how how it, how it all ended up at King. Uh, actually, so sure. I, yeah, I, so so basically, after start working on the Stratosphere streaming project, which became Flink, uh, after some time, I ended up working on Flink development for about two years, and in the, in the second year, we started focusing more on the the, the, the stateful capabilities the fault tolerance story and we we built the checkpointing algorithm and the, mm -hmm. the fault tolerance algorithm that now is one of the the more one of the most defining features of flink and right. it, i think it's a it's a great success story uh, yeah so agreed yeah so i worked about 2 years uh, on on yeah, just purely on flink development in a research context first in budapest and then i later i moved to St uh, stockholm and during that time when i was in stockholm we we ended up going over to to King. King has one of their uh, bigger European offices in Stockholm. That's actually their like one of the their main offices. We visited the, them in 2015 and gave them a present together with Stefan and Kostas, and we gave them a, a presentation on on Flink because they were also investigating some streaming tech, and they really liked uh, what they've seen. 
So I, I actually agreed to join them for an internship to just try to put things into production, just try out how how it would work. So that's that's where the, the whole King story began for me. And gotcha. so I actually stayed after my internship, which is, I think, pretty typical. It was It was really fun for me because up to that point, I mean, we heard from customers, we've seen the systems, we kind of had a good understanding what is interesting, like feature-wise and how it should work. But I was really eager to actually get my hands dirty on some real-world problems and like put this to like a real, like proper test, and and see if what we've built is actually useful or is it just a research project. Right. It was actually really useful. Yes. So at the point where I joined King, they already had some basic real-time uh, systems in place, mostly for game monitoring. So it, it was a, I would say, a pretty typical, like monitoring system they consumed the game events that came, that comes from the phones as people play the games those are the pushed to to kafka and the streaming system uh it was basically a kafka cons- consumer application just a monolithic java application consumed the event streams and did some basic aggregation in memory and pushed it to a mysql database mm-hmm. so that's what they had in place and Actually, that was a super uh, important part of the day-to-day operations because it's very important for a company like King to be able to immediately see if something is wrong with the games, if the revenue streams change. They have to be able to react within like minutes and kind of right. get on top of the situation. So this is this was the point where I where, where I joined in. Basically, what they wanted is to improve the current streaming system, make it more extensible so that people can use it for for different use cases as well data scientists were eager to to tap into the real-time event streams and kind of see what's going on but the the current like monolithic systems in place weren't really flexible so that they can extend it so that was the really big problem that we were trying to solve so we had a great team and we came up with this nice vision of of a of a system where where data scientists could like deploy streaming applications very easily and they could get these dashboards up and running within like a minute or or, or so. This is where Flink comes into the picture. So first we built a few like pilot applications, but we 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 have quickly seen that it's it's not so not so simple to build like streaming applications. You can't just uh, give like Flink to a data scientist and expect them to <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> to learn Java and learn like streaming systems. I'm sure you have the the same experience. You had the same experience with your customers as well. It's not so uh, straightforward, right? That's true. Yeah, we and Leslie's only cackling because we talk about this like seven times a day. Uh, but it's yeah, it's an omnipresent theme around you know how do you democratize streaming data and how do you in- let the entire organization benefit from streaming data like that's the macro problem right yeah exactly so th- this was the same exact problem that that we had at king uh, most data scientists know how to write uh, sql and maybe some python but they're not really java programmers but still they're interested in uh, getting into the the real time data so Right. We ended up coming up with a with a system that it was built on top of Flink. 
So what we what we did is to to build a stream processing platform inside a Flink job. So that's the, I would say that's the easiest way to put it. I know it sounds a bit strange, but what this means that to have a streaming platform inside a Flink job is that we had like this very like fancy complicated Flink application that would consume all the data streams that that came from the from the games and it would also consume scripts that were written in our in our custom DSL so mm. and they were they were also streamed to this application and the application would actually dynamically reconfigure itself to execute all these scripts that were deployed by the data scientists. And what was the what did they write? Is it was there a language that they were scripting in, or was it was it just a simple DSL? There was some evolution to, to the DSL side of it as well. First, oh. we started off uh, with with Groovy because uh-huh. um, we felt at that point that Groovy might be the, the closest thing to to Python uh, when you come from a, from a Java side. Right. We started with Groovy, and then we kind of moved to moved back to Java, and just built this very nice, like annotation-based DSL, which was easy to program. It was more like a, a trigger-based API, so that you could have a method that would receive like game start events and could increase increment counters, like track user state. Then you could react to I don't know purchase events. And do all kinds of things, That's and cool. yeah, and this has become actually quite uh, sophisticated. So it wasn't just a just a simple DSL that uh, where you can do simple dashboards, but uh, I think we covered most of the core functionality of Flink with it. You could like you use state and use timers, create like different window aggregates, and yeah. So I think we. We've built a lot of cool things uh, in, in this platform. And how did they deploy the dashboard? What did that, was that like a notebook-based thing or what was the framework for, for the actual dashboards? So the way it worked is the backend of this platform was, was running on Yarn. And then we mm-hmm. had a nice uh, UI in front of it where, where people could develop their scripts. We had like this script repository so people could like look at other people's scripts and modify it, and make their own. And once they deployed something, they, it came up in a list of running jobs. And there, if they start, if if their jobs were producing any aggregates, they could like hit, uh, click on like a dashboard icon, which would bring up their uh, their graphs. So the the data itself was stored in in sharded MySQL databases. Which mm. is, I think, quite mm-hmm. okay for for most of the companies out there. I mean, sure, tried and true. And the data communication was mostly built around Kafka. So if they if they wanted to produce some output or some ETL, they could also write to Kafka, and they could also just click and see it on the UI. So it was a very nice experience, and it it, it was good because people didn't need any distributed systems knowledge there was no operational right. overhead for for the data scientists it was fully managed basically yeah you know and that that's an interesting point right because in, and that was a while ago that you were doing that you know our sense of of flink even early on was wow this is a lot of power but it's going to be hard for every you know a huge like i was saying earlier a huge swath of people in an organization to actually write 
because you know writing a flink job while writing a it's fairly simple the apis are well documented they're easy to use um but ultimately you know it's still streaming data and it's not just even if you just took a great java programmer they're not instantly a great streaming java programmer right and there's things to think about things to learn you know understand watermarking for instance or something like that um and you know apis and and uis and and things that lay on top of flink that make it more powerful are really like a you know force multiplier or whatever term you want to use for for getting value out of flink in our and at least in our minds and that's kind of always been our mindset is like wow this is an incredible engine and, and a ton of brain power went into it it's a hard distributed systems problem they solved some of the things that were our pet peeves with storm like state management and checkpointing mm -hmm. fault tolerance and these things that coming from a database background are just unacceptable not to have right and and i think the stratosphere project even being steeped in in its roots in in batch you know probably led you guys i don't i can't you know it sounds like it led you guys down that path of thinking about correctness and thinking about state as a first class citizen and then here we are you know a number of years later where those are still core principles and super important, but also, Hey, not every person in your organization is going to need to know those details. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I mean, if, if you take like just pure Java engineers, even for them, this is, I would say it's very, it's a very difficult paradigm shift to, to start thinking in terms of like right. streaming systems compared to what they're used to doing. Um, maybe maybe in certain organizations where you have I don't know hundreds of very good data engineers with with background in big data systems, you can get get away with just running Flink like vanilla Flink data stream API. But I think in most other companies where you have a, a good like mix of different expertise, right. I think you need to to get something more high level. This this is the the same experience what we had at King as well. Interesting, yeah, because we, you know, we've we've talked to folks about when they when they hire engineers to write Flink jobs, they don't say, you know, we want to hire Java engineers, and oh by the way, you're going to be writing Flink jobs. What they say is, uh, we're going to hire Flink engineers. <laughs> you know, they use that as the is that yeah. you know, do you have experience with Flink? And that's the most desirable trait. It's not like, hey, it, you can, you know, anybody can do this. I um, mean, it's not. I don't think that's a detraction of Flink. You know, that someone's reaction might be, well, that's because Flink is hard or whatever. But I, I would caution someone in that opinion because I think distributed systems are hard. <laughs> Streaming is yeah. hard. And because of that, you know, having an API on top of it that does the that gives you the controls you need to manipulate it is both powerful and also a responsibility. And I think that responsibility is what they mean when they say, you know, quote unquote flink engineer. Yeah, I, I think it's not spe specific to Flink. I mean, like Java engineers would equally struggle with any other framework. It's just because you're processing data in a certain way. So I think the same applies to like Flink, Spark, Storm. I mean, of course, the APIs evolved over time, but right. still uh, you have to learn the general principles of data processing. And once you right. know like how to write Spark or Storm programs, it's quite easy to, to migrate to Flink. But just getting into this uh, from the in the beginning is is quite challenging. Yeah, yeah, you said it better than I did. <laughs> Throughout your experience, whether it was initially starting with you know Stratosphere and turning it into Flink at King, you know now with what you're doing at Cloudera, which we'll get to in a little bit. But what you know, as Kenny mentioned, we always love because I know we see them every day, but we always kind of love hearing the war stories about oh, this is something that we never kind of envisioned was going to happen. And then it happened and we had to figure it out because that is what 
I mean, that's what people, to your point, Flink is, it's not necessarily hard, but it's not also the easiest thing out there to do. So people do run into going, oh goodness, help me. I've run into something. Yeah. Like the production gotchas. Yeah. Exactly. What are some of those learnings that you have? Like, what are some of the war stories that maybe would help somebody out there who's trying to build their system now? Let's see. I mean, we, we hit, I would say we hit almost all the, the really bad bugs over over time. I mean, we used uh, Flink for like four years at, at King. And we, we basically had like an, one application that we, we tried to like keep going forever, like migrate between Flink versions change like state formats mm -hmm. without actually losing state mm -hmm. so we, we actually uh, we hit a couple of really nasty problems over time with like memory leaks and state leaks mm. yeah let me just think of my favorite or, or, or worst. <laughs> yeah i think my my, my uh, i don't know it's weird to say favorite bug but uh, <laughs> but there is back, something to be said for figuring yeah. it out and being like, "Ooh, I got this." Yeah, There's exactly. Absolutely something to be said for that. Well, it's if you're an engineer, right? You do have a favorite. Uh, you have a favorite one, right? It's always amusing, or or at least a problem to to think about, right? It's, just, yeah. it's you know, you want to put your brain on that problem. Yeah. So, so this we had this uh, weird issue that we were using broadcast or union states quite heavily. These are states in a fling job that are kind of replicated across all uh, operators uh, and, and the job. We were actually using this to, to store the, the deployed scripts so that the people actually stored. This was really small state actually, just probably like a few megabytes of uh, like worth of data. So mm -hmm. at one day, what we noticed is that after restarting the, like the streaming jobs, uh, they almost immediately crashed with uh, like out of memory errors, but like within uh, like seconds after restarting them. We we actually had a really hard time debugging this because it crashed everything just so quickly, like all over the place, like all the time. After some hours of like hitting our heads, we actually realized that the problem was that we tried to remove a state from a Flink application, we, we tried to remove it by renaming it to something else. But uh, we didn't know at that time that you can't just remove like state from Flink. What actually ended up happening is with the, how, how these state union or broadcast states were implemented is that it started to like replicate itself uh, like exponentially. So every time the job was restarted, the, the state was basically multiplied by the number of operators. Hmm. So, yeah, so the first, like, two, three times, it was fine because from a few, like, megabytes, it maybe grew to, like, a few gigs. But after we hit the, the magic number of restarts, it was <laughs> impossible to restart the job again <laughs> because uh, it would just blow up instantly. So... Hmm. Yeah, these are some of the issues that, that taught us a lot of good techniques about debugging these st streaming systems. And we ended up enhanced, like adding a lot of like logging all, like, all across the stack and just playing around with uh, some JVM flags to make sure that if like task managers or other processes crash, we can always just like look at what happened, added a lot of profiling. Yeah, some other uh, things that that were very like interesting we had a, we had a lot of 
problem with state in general because that was the that was the biggest problem with the with the streaming systems at King that we had so many users if we wanted to store any kinds of state and in fact we wanted to store a lot of state for every user because we wanted to to build up like a real time player profile for for every player that played so like just remember like the match history like past purchases how they did on each like level and stuff like that so it was quite a bit of state for each user but the problem was that there were like billions of user ids active at king across the different games billions of keys is a lot of state no matter what you what you store right just a little yeah 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 so so over time we we had a lot of like scalability issues with even with state backends like RocksDB, so we ended up like heavily relying on the, the Fling metric system, and we had very very detailed metrics in in every part of our streaming pipelines, so that we have good visibility on on what's happening in the production backends. I think that the metric system is is not a very emphasized feature when people talk about streaming application development but i think it's it's one of the most uh, important features when we when we talk about moving a poc to production that people integrate with the metric system and set up alerting and just get a good understanding of how this job works uh, on an operator level do you mean you, stuff that's emitted via jmx or do you mean something more no i'm i mean the, the stuff emitted by jmx is of course, always useful. But what I'm talking about here is the Flink metric system. So the custom Within Flink the metrics that yeah. you can add, like counters, gauges, histograms. It's a very rich uh, API for defining custom metrics. And you can hook it up to, to systems like Grafana uh, or TSDB very easily. Right. I, yeah, I think most of organizations have the the infrastructure to to make good use of this. Right, right. Good point. You were at King, and now you are at Caldera working on their Flink product, which is when we had you know Martone on the the podcast. It was right around the last Flink board, and it's you know Kenny. I said we love seeing Caldera throw their hat and throw their weight behind Flink because obviously we really love it as a technology. So it's great to see that as well. So. Talk to us a little bit about your transition over to Cloudera and kind of what you're working on there and what you've been hearing from those customers around Flink as well. I joined Cloudera uh, last year. It was a it was a great opportunity to to be able to reunite with with Martin. Kind of <laughs> Wait, was there beer, beer involved this time? Or? <laughs> yeah. No, this this was uh, over the internet uh, kind of <laughs> reunion. <laughs> But it was, anyways. It was. I think it's a. It was a great opportunity uh, that we got here. So we took our chances. So here we are, working uh, at Cloudera. So so far, I think we've done a lot of uh, pretty nice work, as as far as I can tell from from the inside. We had two three releases uh, already, some on the on the data center and some on the the public cloud. So as for as for customers, I think most of or a lot of Cloudera customers are are super excited about Flink, especially customers who have used other streaming technologies 
and also customers who are who want to enter the the, the streaming space, uh, so to say. Okay. Yeah. So there's there's always a lot of uh, buzz around Flink, at least uh, in the last couple of years. I'm sure you you see the same same patterns that everybody is talking about Flink. This is the this is the cool streaming system now. So this is the the same same story that we hear from from the customers. And the Cloudera just went uh, preview, or what's the state of the offering? Give us a little. You can do a little plug here. Tell us where 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 Cloudera is at. We have two uh, like proper releases on the data center, and we just came out with a preview release on uh, public cloud. Public cloud. Mm-hmm. I think that's really interesting for for many of our users because now they can like easily like bootstrap flink uh, cluster uh, on top of yarn just with a few clicks and within like 30 minutes or so they they get like a nice fully functional cluster that is integrated with all the the other services that uh, Cloudera has to offer so it's it's really easy to get started with that. And do you do you guys you know one of the things that when I, when I step back and think about the kind of where we're going as an industry and as a community, you know one of the things that's come back into into the fold has been the idea that hey streaming's amazing, but streaming plus batch, you know, being able to enrich streams, being able to join with you know legacy sources of data temporarily, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the, those types of workloads are um, becoming more interesting, I think, um, and making more value in in companies because that data is you know locked away in some enterprise database. And how how do I join it with you know the very latest I don't know clickstream or something? Um, and Cloudera must have an opinion on this because Cloudera, obviously, coming from, you know being a batch oriented company for so long and having such deep roots there, and now adding you know the data in motion in a big way, maybe you. Can, Talk a little bit about that. I think that's that might be interesting for folks to hear about. Yeah, definitely. I think this unification or like bringing together of batch and streaming is, I think it's one of the, the core points in Cloudera's like data strategy uh, when it comes to, to streaming systems because they have so many customers who are like heavy batch users already. And right. when, when they want to go and start start using streaming systems, it's almost always in the context of some like application that they that they had previously had running on like batch. So it's very likely that they want to integrate their new streaming applications with what they already have, maybe for data enrichment, maybe mm-hmm. for whatever else. But it's it's something that comes up all the time. Yeah. So, yeah. So I think Cloudera is all in on that uh, vision as well. And I, really, this has been one of Flink's like core visions over over the years. That yeah, this is an engine that brings streaming and batch together. And I think even since the beginning, Flink was promoting that yeah, it unifies both batch and streaming, which wasn't really true in the early years because the, the APIs were just so disconnected. And I right. think it, it really started to happen with the table API and and SQL, uh, this actual unification. And as we go more and more, like today with the Blink Planner or the merge to Apache, right. this nice vision of having this unified system actually working well and being efficient is something that, that is uh, starting to, to actually happen. So it's, it's super nice to, to see that. 
Yeah, I talked about that in the last podcast uh, about 1.9 and, you know, the Blink Planner coming into the fold and, and the unification around, you know, the table API. Exactly. That I think that's one of the more exciting things that's happened in, in recent times, for sure. Well, we've talked a lot about, you know, streaming over the last, you know, five or six years and leading up to this point. But, you know, what is got you most excited about streaming moving forward like and i go back to what i said at the beginning you have i find to be an incredibly interesting experience with this coming from helping develop it to working with it so deeply in production and now you know working with a vendor that's that's helping customers use it that i think brings a breadth of experience it's really cool so with that kind of what has you excited for the next you know two three four five years about what's happening in the streaming industry i'm mostly uh, I'm most excited about fully or at least partly managed like streaming platforms, streaming solutions, where where people can kind of get away from the operational complexity of of running applications, but focus on development. Because I th- mm-hmm. I think I think the APIs have have gotten to a point where it's very nice to develop and we have a wide variety of APIs available for application developers uh, mm-hmm. to build streaming applications. But the operational complexity is still, I think, a bit too high. So I'm, I'm very excited to see all the, the managed solutions coming, coming up from Amazon Web Services, from Ververica. And, and this is also where Cloudera is going to provide a nice managed experience that that customers can have in the cloud or on their uh, on in their data center even, and this also brings me to to Stream SQL because this is a big part of the story. Uh, I'm not I'm not claiming that that's the only way to to run a managed streaming service, but I think if if we focus on Stream SQL, that's uh, that actually makes it a bit easier from at least the backend perspective to, to run a service. Yeah. I mean, obviously we agree with the, with the SQL, um, <laughs> the SQL story overall. And it's interesting. We were talking to, uh, to Jeff Bean from, from Confluent and uh, you know, they have a similar vision, you know, it, SQL is a very important part of this ecosystem going forward and it's, it's early days, you know, we're just getting started and you know, there's, there's a, there's a ton to be done. And, and, you know, the thing I continually bring up is like schema evolution, schema mm. management, versioning um you know unstructured data is important in streams it's not it's not like you know the oracle database of old unstructured data it plays a key role and we see i don't know 90 percent or some high percentage of data being unstructured mostly json and you know building schemas around that uh dealing with lineage democratizing that schema and providing tools to you know aggregate and filter and do all those things that you know one would do with a streaming system is still challenging around that. And SQL is a big part of that, but hey, SQL requires a, a schema. And so that that impedance mismatch or that, you know, designing something elegant around handling that situation for folks, I think is an area that the community and I, for sure we are working on, and I know others, um, is a big part of going forward as well. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of unsolved problems with, with stream SQL. As you said, schema evolution is one problem and the other is like evolving streaming pipelines how they change over time i mean one of the the key benefits of flink is that you can if you write a data stream program you can carry like the state over to the new versions of your application you can change the whole pipeline and still keep the state and this is something that 
that has to to reach SQL at one point if if it's going to to reach like widespread uh, production or at least it has to reach SQL if it's going to be used for everything. To be honest, I for for a number of years I've been trying to avoid like touching Flink SQL maybe because I didn't have too much SQL experience to begin with. Uh, mm-hmm. But but then I then I came around last year and and started uh, play around with it and I actually found found that it's 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 really nice and it's it's very powerful and. Yeah, and this is this is where uh, the technology is going. I think in a few years, probably the table API and SQL is going to be the the most important piece yeah. of the API. Yeah, we feel that way too. When we, Eric, my co-founder Eric and I, when we started the company, we were using Pipeline DB, and uh, those those guys were subsequently bought by uh, by Confluent. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a good product. It was built on built on Postgres, and we loved it because we could group, we could do a group by not a super scalable group by mind you, but we could do a group by in SQL against a stream, right? It would integrate with Kafka and we could just, you know, do a group by and then materialize that output as something. And like those two core, you know, design principles, being able to do aggregation in SQL language and a declarative language, and then be able to do something with those results you know, like materialize it into a table real quick for an app of some sort, like a map or whatever, was like the aha moment for us. And we were like, this is so cool. We got to do more of this. <laughs> I mean, of course, Pipeline DB, you know, doesn't scale very well, but it was, you know, it was very cool technology. And those guys, very smart guys, do a good job. Um, I don't want to take anything away from Pipeline DB, but, you know, obviously that led us to a journey to find Flink. And then we're like, okay, this is the thing. So, you know, that's how we kind of, you know, had our evolution. And it was always in our mindset was always like, you know, aggregation is important. And then, you know, stream processing is great in an ETL sense, but what if you're trying to just take that data and then do something like that? Like you said earlier, the data scientist wants to, I don't know, build a model or even do a dashboard or do something in Pandas, right? Um, they need some way to actually, you know, grab that snapshot of data and then use it in their project. And SQL is such a great way to do that. Yeah, I mean, like a, a good UI or a good user-friendly API like SQL goes a long way to get people addicted on the streaming systems. We had we had the same experience with King when we built our DSL, where right. it was just like, yeah, on a game start, group by your current level increment discounter on a like one minute window, and that's it. Like fire away dashboard. Right, but against billions yeah. of uh, billions of user IDs, which is the fascinating part. Yeah, exactly. And and people and once people can just click on the dashboard like in a few seconds after they started their job and they can actually see the the data right. like visually, it's, I mean, they're hooked. It's, it's no going yeah, back. Right. <laughs> Good way to put it. Well, Yula, thank you so much for joining us today. I enjoyed the conversation and I'm sure Kenny did as well. We hope you did also. It's, it's been super interesting. I'm sure our listeners will also enjoy it. So thank you for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thank you very much for the opportunity. It was, it was fun to talk with you guys. Yeah, you look great. Great chat. Thank you. There's not much I enjoy more than hearing some good battle tales about building and managing production streaming systems. And Hula certainly had some good ones to share. You can always check out more of his talks, either at Flink Forward or other conferences on YouTube, and hear more about those stories and all the other ways that he's worked with Flink. And head on over to Caldera to see more about what he's working on now. Or if you want to learn more about the Event Store platform with Runtime for Flink and SQL Stream Builder, 
you can head on over to Aventador.io or reach out to us at hello at Aventador.io. Happy streaming!